Hi, all. These are generally conversations between adults after the children have left the table. The language can be spicy, and the subjects can get saucy. So if you're ready, this is the Southern Fork. Unscripted kitchen chats, and also studio chats, with some of the most interesting voices in the culinary South. I'm Stephanie Burt, a food and beverage writer based in Charleston, South Carolina, who travels with her fork to write for a variety of publications, from magazines you might have on your coffee table to the website you love to visit for your favorite recipes. And I'm inviting you to come behind the scenes with me to get to know the people who make this Southern culinary landscape so special. I'm always hungry for the next bite, thirsty for that next sip, and ready for the next conversation. Let's dig in. The Southern Fork is sponsored by me this week. The economic downturn of the last few months has affected some of my sponsors, so at the moment, I'm without one. If you or your brand would like to know more about sponsorship of this podcast, I'd love to hear from you at stephanie at thesouthernfork.com. But until that's resolved, I'm going to use this space to highlight organizations I'd like you to check out. This week, I'm highlighting the work of 180 Place in Charleston, South Carolina, and specifically their culinary training program that is on pause right now during the pandemic. I chatted with Angie Dupree, the culinary trainer director for episode 129, and I can promise you that this program does so much more than just job training. If you cook, then you know it also provides personal food sovereignty skills, confidence, and a feeling of accomplishment to those who participate. Visit 180place.org to learn more about this program. Now, it's 4th of July weekend. Who wants a burger? George Motes is a well-traveled Emmy award-winning freelance filmmaker, author, and photographer. He's also been called the foremost authority on hamburgers by the New York Times, and he's the author of Hamburger America, a state-by-state guide to great burger joints, and a cookbook titled The Great American Burger Book. We met years ago when one of his other passions, the Food Film Fest, came to Charleston, South Carolina. And his enthusiasm and passion for education and fun around food really inspired me. And since our meeting, he's gone on to be something of a pop-up burger legend with his smash burger events that he's held all over the world. In short, the hamburger is probably one of the most iconic foods recognized as quote-quote American around the world. And so it's time to delve into a juicy discussion about it, topped with plenty of trivia for the holiday weekend. Welcome to the Southern Fork, George. Hey, thanks for having me on. 
Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, I I heard you just recently called the hamburger lord on YouTube. Oh, no. So <laughs> the overlord, I think it was the overlord, hamburger overlord. Oh. So I was like, who do I need to talk to about hamburgers? And I was like, oh, the hamburger overlord. So I appreciate you calling me before the uh, fourth so we can we can chat burgers. Um I appreciate you- that. I've got a few names. This, I mean, I, you know, I, we're not going to go through the list right now, but most of them, I'm, I'm humbled by all of them. Yes. Uh, well, the Hamburger Godfather is one of my favorites. So, oh, I like that. I like yeah. that. That's pretty good. Um. Okay. So, burgers, Fourth of July. There's so much we can talk about, and Hamburger America really delves into so much history, but. It's more than just that. You are an aficionado. Um, you've got uh, the cooking background, but you also, we met through the Food Film Fest. What's been going on since, uh, you know, we are all having to, quote, you know, use that wonderful term, pivot. How are you pivoting right now? I'm pivoting. I'm okay. I've had to totally reinvent myself, but um, I know this is temporary. Um, we'll go back to hopefully some kind of sense of normal soon, but uh, you know, the, everything that I did in my life seemed to be about large crowds, <laughs> you know, entertainment. Yeah. Um, they're mm-hmm. cooking for a large crowd, whether you're 30,000 people at Smorgasburg in New York or mm-hmm. you know, the food film festival where you're, you know, serving food to 350 people in the theater at the same time. Right. You know, all these moments are just, uh, on hold right now, I think, for a little bit. We're still trying to find ways to uh, turn the food film festival into something viable. In this new environment, but uh, we'll see. We're not we, honestly. We have a meeting next week to discuss and figure out what's going to be our next step. We don't really know. It's been right. tough. It's very different. It is the, the food film fest is just a one of a kind experience, and it, it every time that I got the opportunity to attend, I just loved it. Um, it was just it it was just a lot of fun, but I learned a lot too. Y'all put it put together just such an interesting group of films and people every time. But after the last Food Film Fest, I did see you start doing more of these smash burgers. And then you were at, you know, South Beach, <laughs> food and wine doing it. And Suddenly I'm at South Beach in front of thousands of people. <laughs> yes. And I was like, wait, what? So before we get yeah. into other burgers, we have to start with yours. How did that burger become your burger and can you explain what it is so funny you asked a great question and it's a very simple answer is that i wrote a cookbook about five years ago and on the first the first stop on the book tour i was in seattle and uh, a producer from the uh, the morning news show there said hey you make a burger on air for us i said sure why not they said could you do this favor can you pick a burger that you can talk about and make in under four minutes oh okay (laughs) a second that's a very short list and the, the one of the burgers on that short list was the Oklahoma Fried Onion Burger, which is uh, it's one of those burgers I like to say is greater than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. because they're really only it's only five parts of this burger. It's a bun, salt, beef, cheese, and onion. That's it. And even the the uh, the rendered beef fat and the uh, the onion juice become basically become a condiment. There's no need for any kind of obviously ketchup or mustard, anything else on this mm-hmm. burger. And <laughs> the first time I made it on the air. Um, I was kind of shocked that I was able to talk about the burger, talk about the book at, while we were on live television, and then hand off the burger to the host, who then took a bite and said, wow, that's a great burger. And I was so amazed by it, I actually took the burger out of her hand and took a bite right before we went to the break. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That's great. So, and so from that point on, it became associated with me, which is I thought was so bizarre, but I'm, I couldn't be happier because now I, at this point, since that moment about four years ago, I probably made, I probably made tens of thousands of them now. Yes. Yes. And with an event like that, how do you prepare and deal with those crowds? I know we can't do it right now, but we can dream about it. Right. <laughs> we can dream about it. Well, in the, in the past, and of course, in the future, I'm more hoping. Yes. Um, it's because there are only five parts to that burger. Uh, it uh, It's actually pretty simple to pull off. I mean, relatively speaking, you know, a lot of people who go out and bake burgers and uh, at events like Smorgasburg, they have to bring a lot of things with them, lots of toppings and they right. bring different types of things, bacon or no bacon. Or all they have, some, some of these guys have condiment stations that are enormous. And I, I have none of this stuff at all. Mm-hmm. You, you walk up to my booth at Smorgasburg. Uh, and we're selling burgers. It's just it was, your options are only single or double. That's it. Right. <laughs> it's to keep the things very, um, very easy going. Um, and the burger itself, people, who, even the people who don't like onions, who are afraid to try onions, try the burger. And they go, oh, my God, thank you so much for pushing me into that direction. Because it's like it's onions like I've never had them before. Right. These onions on, the, on a Friday are actually basically fried. They're they're frying in, in, in beef grease on the flat top. And the mm-hmm. parts become caramelized. Parts, now some parts become a little bit burned a little bit, which is what you want. Oh, yeah. And also parts become steamed. So mm-hmm. it's sort of almost like a three-part onion experience on this burger. And it is it is mind-blowing. I'm glad that I have a salad for lunch right now. I'm dying. <laughs> and I don't know what I was thinking. But I do think that the combination of ground beef and onion is one of the great since when it cooks, when it starts to cook, to me, I think that's just one of the most delectable smells, um, for sure. And I love onion on a burger. I like a raw onion. I saw you talk about a Tennessee fried burger, um, deep fried burger, and it has a raw onion. So, and this, this is actually, sweetens when you cook an onion it sweetens it and um it doesn't just have that harsh flavor so it's kind of the best of both worlds i think um, right I mean, onion on a burger goes back to the beginning of hamburgers i mean if you go back to the dawn of the hamburger age 120 130 years ago pretty much onion was the only condiment chopped onion and then later mustard came along i mean ketchup didn't come along for many many almost you know for five or six decades after the invention of the hamburger wow mm-hmm. so Mm-hmm. Beginning, it was onions, and cooking actually cooking a burger in onions um, is one of the original hamburger methods. If you go back to White Castle, 19, 1920 when it started, um, pretty soon on, pretty early on, uh, they started to incorporate chopped onions into their into their burgers, and that's really what made them famous. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad I'm on the right track then. I've got many more tidbits like that. That's <laughs> yes, and you can just pull them out of your mind. It's amazing. Um, even despite the fact that you, I saw you drinking gravy on YouTube, that doesn't stop you, but you've, you've had, <laughs> that doesn't slow your brain down. That's pretty impressive. You've had about 12, <laughs> you've had about 12,000 burgers, right? Since you've been doing this seriously and researching burgers all across the U.S. Is that number pretty accurate or? Probably more than that. More, more than that, I would say. If that's accurate. <laughs> Do you ever just long for something else or does it still capture your imagination? Well, I, 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 yeah. No, I, I eat a lot of different foods. I eat, I eat a lot of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't eat a lot of food, actually. I eat a lot of different types of food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People think that I just keep eating burgers all day long. I really don't. I mean, um, I've eaten a lot of hamburgers in my life, for sure. No question. Right. 
I've been doing this for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I've eaten somewhere in the upwards of like 16,000 burgers in the last 23 years or so. Like serious, like hardcore research. Yes, that is, that's super hardcore. If you think about it, I had, I had two yesterday. I had three yesterday. So well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you're <laughs> on a, today. when you're on a research trip, especially, you know, you're like, okay, got to log in here, clock in and really eat a lot. But you know, as a food writer, it really is just an area of study, just like it's, it's research and scholarly work and background. And then what makes it so fun is the exponential nature of it. Do you feel like, I mean, it's such a quirky thing, George, to kind of like devote scholarship to, but what happened is you became the foremost expert on this and it's now you've documented your country's food in a way that no one ever had before that. Do you think there's still more to be done there? Yes, there's there's way more to be done. I mean, also, you have to keep in mind also that even though I'm looking at um, the hamburger through an American lens in a way, you know, I've gone out in the world the last, last, say, four or five years, I've been invited to foreign foreign places to go and teach them about the American hamburger. It wasn't until I arrived in these places where I realized that they really didn't know much at all about American hamburger, American culture at all. So I'm starting at the very beginning. I I was just in Argentina. Recently, um, their hamburger culture, surprisingly for a meat country, is, is, is burgeoning. It's only about three years old. Hmm. <laughs> the hamburger has not been there. Yes. So I got back to America after my first trip there, and someone said to me, "How how far behind is Argentina in hamburger you know culture right now?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Do you really want to know? Hundred years. They're a hundred years behind because right wow. they don't have the same infrastructure we have. They don't have meat packers that, that actually make different types of blends of burger meat. And mm-hmm. They don't really have like you know." choice for hamburger buns. Either you have homemade hamburger buns or you have some factory crap. Mm-hmm. And most people want to make a good burger, have to go to a butcher to get meat. They want to go, they have to go to a bakery to get the right bun made. They have to, they can't find American cheese. <laughs> so yeah. it's really, it's, it's incredible. Uh, they're now just getting to the point where there are like Martin's potato rolls are now being <laughs> sold. You know, one of our all time favorite hamburger buns in America is now being sold in Argentina. Yes. One guy figured it out. Let's get them shipped down here. He was so like, let's uh, ship that. <laughs> That's really interesting to me that um, I would. I, when I started doing this, I, nobody else was doing it. So. Right. Now, yeah, I know. You started a trend. Now everybody has that. But, <laughs> you know, everybody's like, oh, it's great burgers. The thing is, the burger is one of my favorite foods. And growing up, I hate to say this. I've already called out Steve Burt for his barbecue chicken. That's my dad. His burgers on the grill, oh my goodness, <laughs> so different than what I really wanted. Um, they would seize up, they would be kind of charcoal briquettes and then kind of raw in the middle. I mean, you know, he would walk away and leave, go inside where it was cool in the air conditioning and leave them. Um, so as an adult, I'm trying all these great burgers and I'm thinking, well, they, for the most part, they need to be cooked on more of a flat top, right? Than a grill. Right. Um, those well, yeah, are the I'm best burgers, right? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say the best, but the, um, the easiest road to success is going to happen on a flat top for sure. Because think about it. If you cook a burger in its own fat, it's considered obviously, you know, hamburger, almost like hamburger confit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to, this moment happening where the fat can't escape and it is going to sit there and, and help to flavor and cook that hamburger. When you cook a hamburger on, a, on open flame, it's also, it's a very different flavor, but what's happening is all that grease, that wonderful ham- rendered hamburger 
grease is actually dropping into the fire. What's happening also technically is that the it's ignites igniting and then going back up into the air and landing on the burger to create that smoky that you know backyard uh, flavor. Mm-hmm. But in reality, you know, it's much harder actually to cook a burger and be successful on a grill. People don't want to hear that. They think you know, every weekend warrior that can go out there and fire up the grill and make you know hamburger magic. I say it's it's pretty rare. It's not not. I mean, I'll still tell people you know it's if you really want to you know, make hamburger magic and you know really be a success. And you, but you want to be outside in the grill. You take a take a skillet, take a you know a cast iron skillet, throw it on top of the grill. Right. <laughs> do it that way. That is the best you way. You're outside. <laughs> you've got everything. You've got the smoke. You've got the rendered beef fat. And you've got the pan. Everything. And definitely do not purchase those pre-made patties. Right. No. no. What's the um, the ratio you like for the the meat grind and the the percentage of fat and things like that? Just to get a little technical. Personally, because because. Well, it's good to get technical. It's good. Because I know what I'm doing. I like to choose 75-25. So 75% lean, 25% fat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not for everybody because it's kind of hard to control sometimes. You can have a river of grease flowing around if you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a grease fire if you're making a lot of burgers. And now you have to know how to, how to use you know grease management skills. <laughs> make that happen. <laughs> you can add that to your resume. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But the best, the best course of action for if you're talking to a butcher is 80-20. And it's funny, I just I got a text yesterday from somebody saying to me, uh, call, they're texting me from Seattle saying, my butcher will not make 80-20. I don't know why. Wow. I'll tell you. I mean, I, <laughs> it's like, you need to, to tell butchers don't want to be, don't want to think that you're smarter than them. <laughs> right. So, so actually, you know, finding a grind at a good butcher who actually wants to play ball, literally, play hamburger, then uh, you're kind of in trouble. But the idea is to try to get to 80-20, 80% lead, 20% there's no problem of finding that in the grocery stores here in the South. We don't have a problem with the percentage of fat. So we that's are where that's what I use for my bolognese sauce. Um, it makes a really good 80, 20. Yeah, it's really good. It's that extra fat and it cooks down and oh, it's really nice. But I'm the Southern food show. And so I know that we can't ask your favorite because there's always one around the bend. But can you tell us a couple um, burgers that you've had in the South over the years that really, really just keep um, your memory going about that time or that place when you tried them? Oh, yeah. I've got a, I've got a bunch. I mean, the, uh, it's funny. Actually, in South Carolina, not a whole lot. Charleston has a bunch of really gr- – I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say South Carolina, not a whole lot. Uh, in terms of old school burgers, nothing in South Carolina except for uh, there's a few out there of uh, Columbia, and um, there's a few out there. Um, but there's uh, not a whole lot of old school burgers anymore left in Charleston, which makes me kind of crazy. I spent a lot of time in Charleston. Um, there is, of course, the new. What's it called now? The Little Jack's Tavern. That burger is spectacular. It is. It is an burger. Yes. And it has the onion. It has that onion cooking in there. And um, it's very small. And I'm a big fan of getting two instead of one double. Because I like the ratio (laughs) of the bun to the meat, you know, and the single. It's a small burger. That's actually, it's a small (laughs) burger if it's a single, though. I like to get the bigger burger. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not out of control. The devil's not out of control, but I understand. Yeah. There, there are not a whole lot, though, unfortunately. I wish there was more down there. I know. Um, outside of that, there's, there's so much out there. I don't even Wow. I mean, you know, you want to be adventurous in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, there's Ann's Snack Bar, which is uh, the home of the ghetto burger. Oh. A tremendous burger. <laughs> Literally tremendous, as big as your head. Oh. Um, where else? 
well, I could move all around the South. Well, um, that's the opposite was, of Little Jack's. So. The exact opposite. In fact, you have to be kind, otherwise you're not getting the burger. <laughs> you can't walk in there and not follow their rules. They have a lot of rules there still, even though Miss Ann is, is gone now, unfortunately. Miss Ann's Snack Bar was the name of the place. But I think some of her relatives still run it. It's still going strong. Um, where else? I mean, there's, there's too many to this. I don't even know where to begin. What about? I mean, if you go to there's a place called Rockaway, Rockaway Athletic Club in Columbia, South Carolina. They have a really great fermented cheeseburger, which is fantastic. Oh, oh, that's good. That's really good. Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina. You have um, Brooks uh, Sandwich. Brooks, Brooks Sandwich, sandwich Shop. Well, I grew up in Charlotte. And oh, still Brooks, yeah, yeah, had a but, horrible, horrible. Yeah, they had a tragedy. Um, tragedy. Yeah, so one of. No, they're open. They're definitely they're open now. They're open. They're back open. Okay, because I know that it was they're it. back up. They're, they're, well, they're doing window service. Yeah. Oh, good, 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 good. Um, but yes, Brooks, really great burger. I like Whataburger. Do you like any chain burgers? <laughs> I do like some chain burgers. Whataburger is not one of them. Um, I do. I'm a big fan of uh, Steak and Shake, which is a uh, most mostly a midwestern yes. uh, midwestern chain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Steak and Shake is fantastic. I, I, I like I like Shake Shack. Uh, kind of like In and Out sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I get the right burger in and Out. California West West Coast chain, right? I try, um, right? But that's about it for chain burgers. I try to stay away from those guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, why? Why would you? Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I've, I've got the mom and pops. You know. I've yes. <laughs> yes. You know the flat top. You don't want to clean it too much. It's kind of like the cast iron skillet. You don't want it to be so. You know, it's got to be seasoned too. And some of these places, like Miss Anne's, they probably have, you know, that seasoned flavor. Um, you know, is part of the, the the umami that you can only get there. So it's almost like a sourdough. Un- unquestionable. Yeah, unquestionable. It's very hard to get people to understand that. You know that that you if you don't like use soap and water on your on your on your flat top, and it's it's not going to be clean. So it doesn't need to be clean. It has to be. Soup. You have to keep it seasoned. This is a very important thing about, about cooking surfaces, especially when it comes to cast iron or steel. Mm-hmm. It's okay if a little bit of your, you know, yesterday's flavor, yesterday's flavor, yesterday's burger was going to flavor today's burger. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. okay for that. Yeah. It's really hard though. Sometimes I would, um, I use a cast iron skillet for my burgers and, you know, you want to scrape it. <laughs> You've got to scrape it, but right. then you don't want to scrub it. You know, it, it's just, yeah. Exactly. I describe it as having a symbiotic relationship with your, your cooking utensils, especially with the cast iron skillet. You have to understand it. Yeah. To live with it. Yeah. Not try to fight it. Yes. <laughs> well, that is so good. I'm so glad. Um, and then you like them where you smash it. Um, you know, Steve Burt made the patties where you just kind of make a round ball and smash it a little bit. It's just too much meat, really, right? Well, no, it's just the only reason you – smashing is a um, – I'm not sure the – the science behind it is, is uh, magic, as far as I'm concerned. Um, a little bit of a little bit of alchemy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do that only because everything I do when it comes to uh, hamburgers is usually based on some sort of historical method. What I do is I make sure that I'm doing it the way they did it, or they still do it in some cases. In most cases, you know, I'm still I'm making burgers that people still make them, and they haven't making them that way for a hundred years. You know, if you're making burgers the same way for whatever that method is for a hundred years, it probably you know you can't really go wrong. Um, and one of those methods is smashing. And smashing um, exists only because uh, there was a time when the patty former didn't exist. The, pat- uh, the patty former machine wasn't really invented until the 1930s or 40s, I believe. Hmm. And hamburgers predate that by about four decades. 
Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, you know, just to portion meat, they would they would take small balls of meat, throw them on a flat top, and then and hit them with the back of the spatula to get them to the size of the bun. And back then, the size of a bun was they were used to use uh, uh, dinner rolls, like small like little uh, dinner rolls for for hamburger buns. <laughs> that was the only sort of standard thing they could have they could find back then. Right, right. Oh, that's perfect. And I love, I love that. That's bringing me back to the little Jack's burger and the fact that I want a burger so much. <laughs> now, I know that when people listen to this, they're going to ask this question. Um, how did you get this amazing job? Did you, you know, like, what did you go to college for? I mean, because you're, you're really a great speaker and a great, um, organizer as well, but you're a hands on person. So can, can you talk? Briefly about the circuitous route that, you know, led to becoming the hamburger overlord. <laughs> it really started. Well, actually, I went to, went to college for American history. So that was part, my, actually specifically modern American history. So I think I was specifically geared towards this to begin with. It was definitely a crazy route. That's for sure. Let's put it that way. I didn't mm-hmm. expect this to happen in my life because originally I was a filmmaker. I made films about food. Uh, I made, also made, I shot TV commercials. I was a, a, a director of photography. Um, and that's, of course, now you can see how that leads in food film festival, obviously, because I was actually looking, I was making food films, mm-hmm. uh, and going to festivals and realized there was no, no place for, you know, food films to exist. So I, we created our own festival called the Food Film Festival. Um, but outside of that, um, I've, it was, I decided to make a film about hamburgers. It was completely random. It was over almost 20 years now, 20 years ago now called Hamburger America. And that was what led me on this crazy path. And you're <laughs> still here. <laughs> 30,000 burgers. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and if people are interested, I think your, your YouTube um, series remind me of what it's called on first we feast. Um, Right. It's a burger scholar sessions. Yeah. Those are awesome. By the way, they are fun. (laughs) They're informative and the production value is quite good. (laughs) So just as a, as a person watching this, I'm like, Wow, you know, there was one where you're talking about the different styles of barbecue and you have the picture. Carolina, you know, it's very good, very good filmmaker work in general. So thanks for it's a great network. They do a, they do a great job with that. And I we we, all, we shot that during quarantine. And it was really the only people who were on camera were my girlfriend off camera, my girlfriend and my daughter. My daughter actually operated one of the two cameras. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, they it it's coming out quite well. And the one I watched recently had about 5 million views. So, and that's not me just yes. using a term like 5 million mosquitoes. It's actually 5 million views on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so, yay. That's really... People that's, are crazed for hamburger content. Yes, so. they are. You have hit the jackpot as an American history and, you know, major. You didn't have to teach high school one day, George. That's awesome. So. well we've talked a lot about burgers of course but um and i've said that i was hungry but i'm interested you you've gone down this path for so long and there's still more to do what's next what's making you hungry i'm about to take an rv trip uh through the i'm actually going to circumnavigate lake michigan right now i'll be leaving in two days and uh, the plan is, I'm you know going to be grilling a lot. I'm going to explore cooking over fire four straight four actually five straight nights. I'm going to be cooking remotely over fire. Wow, that'll be fun. Sort of getting back to some real roots. Not, you know, I was going to bring. I have all these cool contraptions I could have brought. 
um, that help grilling. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to literally get a simple $20 grill grate, put it over a fire, and see, see what kind of magic I can create. So I'm, I'm very much interested in all all cooking methods, mm-hmm. especially if it involves technology. But I think this is a time for me to sort of step back for a couple of days and just, just go over fire to see what happens. I, mean, I love food so much, and I do appreciate all my friends and uh, people, new friends that I make um, who make food and who have restaurants. and They're all incredible people because they're really out there doing the one thing they know really well. They know burgers. They know barbecue really well. They know oysters really well. I have some amazing oyster friends, and they're literally all they do is make oysters. It's all they do. Right. <laughs> it's incredible. I need to always talk to them. I mean, I, I, I talk to, I'm not going to talk to you know, a fish store. I'm going to talk to an oysterman. I want to talk to a shrimper. Right. I want to talk to people who actually know what they're talking about when it comes to a very specific types of food. So, and everyone should, everyone should question where their food comes from. Really get into food and understand that, you know, it's, there's not just one type of shrimp out there. You know, there's, there's Vietnamese shrimp, which is, you know, probably not so great. Right. I've been frozen for many, many years and mm-hmm. some deep freeze, you know, locker somewhere or there's fresh shrimp, you know, and the, to know where, you know, all these great foodways exist and, you know, and to go out there and explore them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, it's so. so fun to, yeah. Hopefully we can, I mean, I'm in South Carolina, so I probably shouldn't leave the state. You know, New York is like, no, don't come here. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm wearing my mask. This job that you've created that now you're recreating and then you'll have to recreate again whenever we get to wherever we're going has aspects of it that really fit an aspect of your personality. What are one of those things that really fit like a puzzle piece with your personality? I I think you're a very curious person, but beyond that, maybe. Very curious. (laughs) But I think my curiosity keeps me very, very interested in all things. I mean, I really have been, I, I, I can't get enough of, uh, honestly, food waste around the world. And I really, uh, one day I'm going to create a television show, once we can, uh, that explores food ways that people wouldn't even expect around mm-hmm. the world, for sure. I mean, it, I know it's been done before. Bourdain did it, of course, unfortunately. You know, rest, rest, rest in peace, buddy. He's, he's gone now, but yep. nobody's really stepped up to uh, take his, his place because he was doing amazing things, Anthony Bourdain. Yes. He really was out there exploring food in a way that nobody was doing it before. And unfortunately, nobody really is right now. You know, would I like to be replace, <laughs> replace Bourdain? No, but I, there definitely is a need for somebody to get out there and be really, really curious about this stuff and find out, you know, and explore the different food ways that exist. Well, and what I love about food ways, and I'm sure you do too, is, and, and what I think Bourdain was so, uh, masterful at, is he really humanized some second and third world countries for tourists, you know, through food ways. So, True. you know, instead of just going and like eating at the hotel, he's like, get out, meet the people this way, you know, through food. And so to me, it's so much of a gateway to really understanding culture. And you've done that in America. I mean, you can list off you know, Oklahoma to Florida, you know, all these places that you've eaten and you're going to go around Michigan. Like it just never ends. So, um, I'm, that's what interests me about food is that these have a story. Like you're saying they didn't have buns. So, you know, they had rolls. So that's why they were the size. I don't know why, but that kind of thing thrills me. I'm fascinated by that. It goes back to that ingenuity of a diner cook who's just like, okay, I'm going to smash this to make it fit that bun. 
And then you have a whole new method. And now, you know, you're kind of remembering that person who one day just did something because it needed to be done. I like that kind of thing. So the reason I made the cookbook was because there were, there were, nobody was talking about hamburgers um, in terms of where they, like real histories of where they came from. Uh, they weren't really, they were just taking a, you know, it was a hamburger patty with a certain with toppings on it. Oh, let's put these toppings on it. Now it becomes a Tex-Mex burger. Let's put these toppings on it, like, you know, ham and pineapple. It's a Hawaiian burger. <laughs> and the first thing I wanted to dispel was that if you go to Hawaii, you're not getting this burger. Sorry, buddy. You're not getting a pineapple burger. And they do exist. And, they, and people do say, oh, they've told me they do exist out there. But really, honestly, a, a true, like, Hawaiian burger with real history is something called the Loco Moco. In Hawaii, and that's it's just it's a bed of rice with a burger patty on top and a and a fried egg and gravy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I watched the <laughs> video real, about. <laughs> that's, that has real Hawaiian history that goes back to the forties. If you trace the roots of a pineapple on a burger, it doesn't even go back. It goes it goes to it goes to Canada. Like somebody in Canada invented the, the freaking you know Hawaiian burger. Did a Canadian so the, put? I, did they put pineapple <laughs> on the pizza too? Because we're gonna have an issue. Because that's, exactly. that's also not the, they were the Somewhere in Ottawa, somebody <laughs> put pineapple on a pizza first. <gasps> and then the guys who made, apparently he made hamburgers too, and did that a couple of years later. It happened in the 60s, we know. That's all we can figure out. It happened in Ottawa. Oh, my um, God. But the point is, that I, that's great. Sure, why not? Hey, knock yourself out. You can call it pineapple. Call it a Hawaiian burger in, in Ottawa. That's fine. But people have to understand that there's, there's, there's a much deeper uh, regional story to be told here that involves people and why they did these things and why they... Why were there different methods around the country that exist? And they still exist today, which I find totally fascinating. Yeah, I do too. I definitely do. Okay, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? <laughs> Teenage daughter. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, what keeps me up at night is, uh, honestly, is people um, not taking not taking food waste seriously, not not really, or just not not taking the, the entire story, the entire picture seriously. Mm-hmm. Like cutting corners, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, looking at the idea of quality being expensive, that keeps me up. Is that people not appreciating the people who make food and why it might cost a little extra because there's a reason why, you know, if you're paying, if you're not paying enough for food, you're probably getting, you're getting cheated somehow. <laughs> it's I, like right now. It's really know, true. It goes into real food. It's expensive. Yeah, it's true. You think about the shrimping community. Right. South Carolina shrimp does not really leave South Carolina. Think about it, right. because the, the, the system is broken. It's not. It's, it's actually set up to to favor sales in the state and not outside the state at all. Uh, it's a disaster, I think. And because of that, shrimping is down. I think in South Carolina because of that, because they know if we just if we go out and get too much shrimp, we can't sell it. We have to sell it for less. Right. <laughs> we know what people want. You grew up or have family in McClellanville, right? I do. I have. I have, well, I have family all over. Um, all over low country. I have McClellanville. Mm-hmm. Um, Ondaw. Actually, it started in Ondaw, I believe. You know, my, well, I have a lot of family members in Ondaw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did. I made a film about, about, about shrimping called Head On. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I remember it from the first food film fest that I attended. So it was great. Oh, right. Yeah. Exactly. And we had some great shrimp. Um, okay. I have actually a magic picnic basket. And um, it... I can also time travel both of those things. I haven't really translated into monetary uh, wealth for myself. I just use this, these two amazing things for my guests. So I can go back in time 
to um, conscript anybody to make something for you. I can source and I can cook a little bit myself. They're not at your level. Let's just be real. But if you like pound cake, I can make a pound cake. So what is going to be in that basket? What am I going to bring you that you would like to have? Wow. That's a big question, but I can sort of answer it. Um, I'd sure like some collards from uh, Rodney Scott's Barbecue in, in Charleston. Yeah, those <laughs> are good. <laughs> uh, I knew they were good when I brought I brought a few to a picnic um, to my southern relatives, and they were like, Georgie, where'd you get these? <laughs> I said, I nailed that one. Um, that was red. fantastic. Um, wow, where do we even go from here? I, I need to get... Um, Definitely need to get this. This is a great, there's so much good food around the world. I can't even know where to begin. I need to get some uni from Japan because I think it's one of their best fish products of all time. I just, <laughs> I'm not Japan. cool. I just, I have a problem with the texture the whole time. I've always had a oh, problem with the cool. texture. Had it in Japan. I have had it in Japan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> texture thing. That's okay. Um, I see. We definitely need to, need to go get, um, Ooh, oh, wow, 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 wow. Um, we need to go back in time and go to a place that's unfortunately closed now called one of my all-time favorite restaurants called Gyro 2. Ooh. Gyro 2. There was never a Gyro 1. Uh, it was in <laughs> Square, New York City. Uh, and it was run by a bunch of Jewish guys. Go figure. Who made great gyros. They loved gyros. They made them the way they wanted to make them. They changed the sauce. And then the place was, was open for 37 years and it closed one day. Oh. Um, and in the window, they left the sauce recipe. Oh. <laughs> so, we can all go back in time, and make our own gyro, but it's it's a it's a, like a classic, you know, like you know, shaved meat, fresh fresh shaved meat gyro in a pita with this very very special white sauce on it that blew my mind. And it closed one day, and I, I literally was almost in tears. So yeah, bring that back, please. I'd like to get a, a gyro. I can definitely get that for you. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, what else? I could keep. I could. Oh, oh, I had I had an ice cream. Now we're moving to dessert. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an ice cream in. Argentina, but uh, six months ago, that absolutely knocked me out. Knocked me over. It was from a place called I can't remember what it's called now, but the flavor was called Samoyon. Samoyon is like it's almost it's almost like a red wine right. cream ice cream. <gasps> it's hard to that's how you describe this thing. It was literally one of the craziest flavors I have ever had in my mouth ever. It was, and if you look it up, it's called Samoyon. Um. As, as part French, part Argentine. I don't know, but it was ridiculous. That um, sounds really good. I just did an ice cream episode a few episodes ago. So, yeah. Can't ever get enough ice, ice cream. cream. Yeah. Well, well, that's a pretty good epic going. meal. My basket might be too full. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Do we get, do we need a beverage? Do you need a beverage? Oh, beverages, of course. Yes. So, beverages. Okay. Ah. Uh, that's a goo. Wow. I can't even, I'm a big beer fan. You know, give me, give me a good beer. I'm happy. <laughs> that makes sense. You know, but a, a few beers in- burger, fries, yeah. beer makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, it's any, any, it's, it's I love beer. I love A&W root beer. If it's fresh made root beer, you know, mm-hmm. you go to the, um, if you go to Carl's drive-in in St. Louis, they actually make their own root beer and that's spectacular. It's great. Homemade root beer is fantastic. <laughs> it is. It is. And, um, I had an Abita root beer recently out of new Orleans and, and I was like, wow, this is so good. Like, why have I not had this for a while? It was just perfect. Also, by the way, has a great history. People don't realize is that during prohibition, all these breweries had to make something. So they made root beer. 
<laughs> now they make sanitizer. So here we are. Right. Uh, <laughs> sanitizer. <laughs> How about some hand sanitizer? <laughs> what can we make with our gin mill, our, our gin, uh, you know, gin still? Yes. Make some hand sanitizer. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that sounds good. We'll, we'll stop there. And if people want to learn more about George Motes and all of his myriad, I guess, experiments and, um, research and actually events as they will continue. I have no doubt, George, that they will continue. You can go to the southernfork.com. I'm going to have a link there. Also, you can see the um, man behind the voice. Probably you already know what he looks like um, because you were maybe one of the 5 million people that watched that video. And if not, you've seen him on all kinds of channels. I know you've been on the Travel Channel and, oh, my goodness, so many different places. But um, if you like what you hear, there are um, close very, very close to 200 episodes of the Southern Fork in the archive. So the easiest way to get that is to make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app and uh, share it with a friend, write a review, do all those things. I was able to get George to call me from his Brooklyn apartment today. Still in Brooklyn, right? Oh, yeah. Still yep. Right. Yep. And um, I'm not exactly hiding behind my couch anymore, but I'm getting there. <laughs> And, um, getting out there. I really, really appreciate your time. And I'm going to have to obviously go to the store now and buy some ground beef. It's just going to have to happen tonight. So, and onions, onions. Oh, I don't don't keep house without onions. So I always have a whole basket of onions. So thanks so much for coming today. Thanks for having me. Hello, and welcome to Talking With My Mouthful. Every time I do one of these meat-centric shows, I think about vegetarians. And every time I do something about alcoholic beverages, I think about those who are decidedly sober. It's one of the things um, that I love about the Southern Fork is that I get to cover all aspects of food culture, but at the same time, I am often aware that not every show appeals to every listener every time. So anyway, may I make the suggestion of how to have your table appeal to people um, a little more when you are welcoming people to it, possibly a small group of family or people that are socially distancing for an outside cookout this weekend? that you actually accommodate uh, non-meat eaters and vegetarians. And one of the great things that I've learned about hospitality is anticipating needs and not having to request. So just have a vegetarian side dish or, you know, it doesn't have to be veggie burgers. Um, It can be portobello mushrooms. My sister's been a vegetarian for multiple decades and she prefers a portobello mushroom on the grill. Have something to drink for non-drinkers besides just water. You've heard me say that before, but I believe in hospitality, and one of the great things that I've enjoyed about hospitality is an anticipation of my needs. So this weekend, if you're cooking on the grill and you're not sure if everybody's eating meat, well, make some veggies too.
and not just the ketchup on that burger. All right, have a good one. I've got to go fire up the grill, but got to clean it first. You've been listening to The Southern Fork. I can't wait to bring you more culinary conversations, but in the meantime, I have one question. Are you going to eat all that? <laughs>